Where is InsureTech headed next? This is where indie agents own the answer. Welcome to the Vertifor Insurance Podcast. Let's go. Welcome back to another episode of the Vertifor Insurance Podcast, where we talk all things InsureTech. Today, I'm really excited to have none other than Daniel Song, founder of Park Insurance, on with us today. And one of the reasons I'm so excited to have him on is because he, you know, it's it's been interesting watching the the insurance industry over the last three years. We've sort of had this change in thought leaders and leaders in the space, you know, where you saw Jason Cass and Ryan Hanley and, you know, people who were really um, focused on helping shake up the industry. And there's sort of this passing of the torch going on with uh, people like Daniel, uh, David Carruthers, and others who are stepping up and saying, all right, uh, you know, I'm, I, I have a voice. I believe in this vision I have for the independent agent's future. And I want to help be a part of creating that community that continues to shake people up and move them forward. So he's going to talk a little bit today about his story, um, his agency, which he built from the ground up. He, he uh, you know, this, this is a person who, um, you know, was willing to put uh, put his um, you know belief to the test and really grind it out over years and years, and is you know sitting before us today, very successful agency owner with a lot to to tell you, uh, you know around uh, how to move into the future and and how to really modernize your agency and uh, weather the challenges that come up as an entrepreneur. So without further ado, because I I really can't give his story justice. Uh, Daniel Song. Oh, Sid, thanks so much. What what a great intro, and to be uh, named with uh, you know David Carruthers, Jason Cast, Ryan Hanley. You know, I, I am truly honored, and to be sitting here with you. I have been waiting for this day for a very long time, and I never told you this, but uh, you have been one of the people when I first got into the industry that I always wanted to meet. Um, I stalked you for many years. And to be able to call you a true friend now uh, just means the world to me. And, and, and to your point, exactly why I love the industry. The industry has given me and my family, my kids so much uh, that second part of my career now, you know, that's exactly what I want to do. I want to make the industry a better place for the next generation. Uh, so one day when my kids get in, they can continue these relationships and learn from people like yourself. That is, uh, man, that's high praise. I appreciate that. And I'll only take about half of it because honestly, you have weathered much more than I have in, in my time. So <laughs> I, I appreciate it, but um, I, I have a profound respect for you and what you've done and, and really just how you've built your business. I think mm. we don't know each other, you know, we don't go back decades and decades as I'm sure, you know, some of your friends uh, do, but I get the sense that as challenges have arisen and you've had to make tough decisions for your business, you have always made decisions based off your values mm. and not your fears. And that's a that's a lesson that I've you know learned the hard way. I would say uh, over the past four or five years in my own life. So being able to you know talk to people like you and and hear. Um, a little bit more about your story and dig in is it means a lot. So, um, so let's start back at the beginning. Uh, tell me a little bit about Daniel pre-insurance. I know you were in the yeah, military and, for a short. And stint. I'll try to I'll try to keep it pretty short here because there's so many topics that I want I want to talk to you about too. So I'll give you okay. the mini version, you know. But okay. <clears throat> so 1979, I was born in South Korea, and in 1984, I came here to the states. And I, I always tell this story because, you know, being a parent, it's so impactful now, the relationship that you have with your kids. I mean, that's the mm -hmm. most important thing uh, that I feel is my duty is to make sure that and I, I, I'm a good role model to my kids. But I was three years old, you know, and, and back in Korea, back in the day, you know, we, we lived on a pig farm. And I remember our, our little, little village and our room, uh, you know, in, 
at nighttime, we would bring out the blanket. So it's our, that would be our bedroom. In the morning, we put the blankets away, get the breakfast table out, and that would be the dining room. And, uh, you know, very, very humble beginnings. And I remember when I was about three years old, I woke up one day and my dad said, hey, look, mommy's not here anymore. So it's just us three. It was my dad and my sister and myself. Wow. And a three-year-old kid, you don't really understand that. Uh, but he said, mommy's not here and it's just us. So um, he he brought us to the States in 84 when I was five years old. And I, I really had an interesting childhood. Uh, back then, you know, amongst all of our, all my friends, my family, my cousins, and, you know, I'm Korean, right? So I'm supposed to do Taekwondo. I'm supposed to be really good at math, right? I play the piano, but I did none of those things. I was mm. so... I was really insecure and I, I didn't learn how to read until probably late elementary-ish. I didn't know that there were actual months of the year until late elementary. And I was just, I in fact, I, I flunked first grade. And even back then, right, as you feel the pure pressures of being, um, uh, I, don't, I don't know, uh, 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 singled out in, in a way, because I remember I was so excited to go back to school after first grade but when i flunked i i went into first grade again but all my first grade friends are now in second grade and none of them would talk to me because i you know i, I was um i flunked mm -hmm. but also all the kids in my first grade class they wouldn't really want to play with me because i was the odd one mm -hmm. so i really didn't have any friends growing up and i remember you know recess was probably the worst time of the day for me because I didn't have any friends so i would i would walk to the basketball court um, but i would walk really fast right because if you walk really fast you seem like you have somewhere to go so i would walk really fast to the basketball court walk around there look around for about five minutes then i would walk really fast to the soccer field and then i would walk really fast to the tetherball courts um but you can only do that for so long until people catch on so you know there were there were days where i would go into the bathroom for 10 15 minutes just to kill time um but you know, so I I, I evolved, and uh, you know, in high school, I was, uh, you know, I, I did okay in school, but I just wasn't a brainiac kind of kid. School was never for me. Um, so when I graduated high school, I told my parents, you know, I'm going to go into the Marine Corps. I didn't even talk to them about enlisting, Whoa. but you know, they were they were struggling. I had two yeah. older sisters, so we got remarried. My dad got remarried when I was about seven years old, and. Uh, technically, she's my stepmom, but I've never called her stepmom. She's my mom. I love her to death, you know. So, and she had a son and a daughter. So now I have two two sisters, one younger brother, and you know they did well for 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 their time. And then they got into some struggles there with their business. And I remember being in high school, a senior. It was my two sisters were away at college, but they would come back during winter. So we were living in a two bedroom apartment with six people. So when they came back home from school, they would sleep on the bed, and my brother and I we would sleep or sleep on the side of the bed on the floor. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, I'm not gonna give the, my parents the pressure of having to send two boys, uh, another two kids to college. So we enlisted for the Marine Corps. So I probably graduated high school June 15th. I was on the bus June 18th. Um, wow. But in my first duty station was Okinawa, Japan. Absolutely loved it. Uh, it was a great time. Uh, and then I got discharged back in 2002. And that's when I got married. My wife is from San Diego, and I was I went to uh, Fullerton City College, a, a city community college out here, and I transferred to USC. But while I was transferring to USC, um, we got married, and I got a part-time job at a mortgage company. Um, now, uh, I, and I did pretty well, Sid. You know, in my yeah. first five minutes in that office, you know, they put me on the phones, and I was selling mortgages. And six months later, you know, I opened my own mortgage company. We had about 15 loan officers, three processors. We were making some money. Mm -hmm. And I was 24, 25 years old. Now, you know, this is the biggest lesson that I learned back then is that, you know, never coming from money, mm -hmm. never having any money. I mean, I said, I remember with my own pen in one month, my commission was 100,000, the next month 75, the next month 50,000. So in a quarter, I made 225,000 just from my own sales, not the business. Um, but I was, I was completely reckless. I was, mm -hmm. It was so bad. Mm -hmm. uh, I had the biggest ego you could ever imagine. I bought myself a five series, my wife a, a Mercedes ML, my dad a seven series, my, my sister a three series. I mean, I, I, embarrassing enough, like we would go to church and I would make sure that I would park right in the front that everybody saw this is you I, I just i'm shocked i don't see uh -huh. this that's 
Okay, keep going. I'm, I'm well, I mean, floored. God has works in mysterious ways, right? Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I mean, again, it, I was just, I thought, you know, I was everything. And these mm -hmm. times were never going to change. Um, and then he humbled us pretty good uh, in 07, you know, with the whole mortgage crisis. Now, mm -hmm. I remember it was July. And, you know, we weren't Bank of America where we can weather the storm for a couple of years. I mean, our, our funds ran pretty, ran out pretty quickly. And, uh, you know, we shut it down. And that's really, I want to say that's really when life started. Because I'm 43 now. We're, we're next month, we're going to celebrate 19 years of marriage. And in the first five years of marriage, we had four daughters. No twins, but four daughters in five years. And a few years later, we had my son. Um, but when we shut down the company, uh, I really didn't have a plan. And I, and I think this is, I'm not, the, I'm not abnormal. I think a lot of us go through life just going day by day without really having a purpose. Mm -hmm. And what I learned, and even with starting of the agency and in life, what I learned was you have to have the end in mind. You have to have that ultimate goal, um, which you call the finish line. Now, I know in my career, there is no technical finish line because I love what I do. Uh, I come out every single day excited, motivated, dedicated to the team and to our clients. Um, but I think that's where a lot of people fall short is they don't have the end in mind. So the struggles that they go through every single day of being an entrepreneur, of being an agency owner, because... I, I tell you, if I if I focused on just the daily struggles, I don't know if I would do this every day. Mm -hmm. But there's a there's an end in mind, mm -hmm. right? So um, so we shut it down, and you know, Sid for about three four years, it was really tough. I remember uh, we lost our home, lost our rental properties. Uh, we we for or repossessed all of our cars. Um, I moved around so much that. I didn't. I never changed our changed our address on our driver's license. Um, we were on food stamps. We were on welfare. Uh, I, I mean, at one point, I had two hundred dollars in my pocket, in my pocket, and that was it. We sold everything. I mean, it was. And then we had my fourth daughter at this time. Mm -hmm. um, and re remember back in the day, the five dollar foot long sub sandwiches, yes. Subway. Yeah. Five, so, yeah. you know, on a Friday night, the, the blessing was my kids were so young, they don't remember. But on a Friday night, that was our Friday night activity. We would buy a five dollar foot long. And at that time, I had four daughters mm -hmm. and we would take them to the park. Mm -hmm. But the five the foot long, we can cut it in fourths. And we gave them each their own. And they just thought they had the best life in the world mm -hmm. because they had a full stomach. And we were at the park swinging, sliding, running around. Um, and just a side note here, you know, I, I think as entrepreneurs and just as people, you know, you have to take risks. Mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. my wife and I, I, you know, we did everything on a whim. I, I remember one night uh, she called me and she's, you know, every night when we were dating, we would while, while we were sleeping or before we go to bed, we would talk for hours. Mm -hmm. And one night she had a really bad fight with her parents. And I said, you know what, the next day, let's just get married. So I drove down to San Diego. I we went to the Robbins Brothers and then we bought a ring and we got married. We wanted to start a business, so we just started it overnight, the mortgage company. So, you know, a lot of people just overthink things too much. Mm -hmm. You know, they the uh, um, the the direction of their agency or you know on hiring or systems mm -hmm. and processes. Um, you know, sometimes you just have to go with your gut and know that you're gonna figure it out. Early in my career. I said no to nothing. I said yes to everything because I just wanted to learn. I, um, you know, the, the coffee date or the lunch date that I would get invited to, even though it's two hours away, I did, I went because I never knew what that conversation or that relationship would lead me to. And a lot of times it led to nothing, but a lot of times it led to meeting Chris Paradiso. A lot of times it led to, you know, meeting very impactful people in my life. So in the very beginning, you know, say yes to everything and then figure it out. Because I promise you, you will figure it out. Um, but so, you know, we lost everything. And, you know, I, there was a defining moment in my life that if, if I had to pick one moment, this is the moment right here. Uh, so we so my wife goes to the grocery store. And, you know, she with a food stamp, she's buying and the program out here is called WIC. 
and she was uh, buying groceries and you know she so I asked her so she came back and I said oh great and she tells me oh I ran into so-and-so in line um, at, at the grocery store and my heart said my heart dropped and I, and I said I see the groceries so I know she bought it I said did they see you paid with food stamps and she said, well, yeah, I do. I mean, I have the food here. She, of course she saw me. She was right next to me and said, I got so upset. Mm-hmm. It was the ego coming back. It mm-hmm. was, you know, because I, I didn't want my friends to think that I wasn't providing for my family mm-hmm. or that we didn't have any money or that we were struggling and we were struggling. Mm-hmm. So I didn't talk to her for about a week. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, she after about a week, she comes to me and she says, she said, honey, you know, why would I be upset about providing for our kids? And she said, where we are today isn't where we're staying. Mm -hmm. It's something that we're going through. And when she said that, it was an aha moment for me where she was basically saying, I believe in you, I trust you, I love you, get your butt to work and get us out of this. And that's when it all changed. I said, you know what, you're right. That day I planted my flag. And what I mean by that was no matter how hard it was going to get, no matter how difficult, how challenging, however long it was going to take, I was going to make it happen. We had, we, I was over crying at night, praying at night, hoping that we would get out of it. I planted my flag and we were, I was getting us out of it. So that's when I got into insurance and I didn't know a single soul in insurance. You know, I, everybody needs it, just how everybody else thinks, right? So it's a, probably a great industry because you have to have it. So I went out, I found the local agency and I said, hey, look, now I didn't know what a cluster was. I didn't know anybody. I said, let me just write through you. I don't, because I, I can't get the appointment. I, let me just write through you. You can take a little bit off the top, but I own my book of business. I had at least, I was smart enough to at least put that into writing. Um, so I would build the agency from nine to 5 p.m. Uh, and then at 5 p.m., I would I would take off, get home by 6, 6 to 8 p.m. For, for two hours. I would eat dinner and play with the kids. And then from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m., I would take a nap. And then my wife would wake me up at 10 p.m. because I would drive about 30 miles to my graveyard shift. From 11 p.m. to 7.30 a.m., I worked graveyard at a home alarm company. So if your alarm goes off in the middle of the night, you get a ring. And I was that I was dispatched. I was that person. 7.30 a.m. I would get off, go home, take a shower, eat breakfast, and go build the PNC from 9 to 5. And I did that for a long time. Um, and then, you know, doing that, doing that, doing that, I finally got us to a certain position where I didn't have to work the graveyard shift anymore. And, you know, at a, at a certain point, I think we all just have to, we, we, all, we get to that point where we're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm-hmm. You know? We're, we're, we're sick and tired of not being able to pay for the bills mm-hmm. because when you have too much month at the end of the money, it sucks. You know, when you have to file bankruptcy, it sucks. When you have $200 in your pocket, it sucks. So I just made that decision. And no matter how hard it was going to get, and I don't even know how, how I did it. Friday night was truly my weekend where I didn't have to go into the alarm um, company. So at Friday night, I could sleep. Uh, like a regular person and my wife tells me that i she never saw me sleep so well in her life because i was just so trained mm. but you know said for the five first five years of my career i took seven days off except for five of those seven days were for christmas my wife would go to church on sunday morning and people thought with the five kids she was a single mom but i was dedicated i was dedicated first to my family Right, because a lot of people think, well, it's five o'clock. I wanna, I wanna go home to my my kids because I'm a family man or I'm a family person. I, I don't know. I just never believed in that. I think there's a time and place in your life where you go through stages. And could you imagine if I wanted to clock out at five o'clock in the first five years? I don't know where I would be, but I guarantee you, it wouldn't be here. Um, so I'm a big believer in. I always told my wife this, but I told her, I'm going to kill myself for the next five years. Mm. I said, I will get us out of this. I, you know, but it's funny because every year I always say, I'll kill myself for the next five years. Right. You know, so it never really stops. It becomes a lifestyle. It becomes a mental, um, it, it truly becomes a mental power and where, you know, you just have to keep going. 
-hmm. and um but i've rambled long enough i'm sure you have some questions i have i have so many questions and i think as i first of all wow what i i've heard pieces of this story but to hear from start to finish i mean thank you for being so vulnerable and so honest uh that is an incredibly inspiring story i i i, I really don't even have words um for what you've been through and i think it's probably and I don't even want to use the word easy, but probably easy for people to listen to, but there was to go through that for so long, right? And to have so many kind of ups and downs and to be where you are, it's just, that's truly remarkable. I think as I was listening, what bubbled to the surface for me is, this is, you're a guy who I think at core is an entrepreneur through and through. Right, and I that word gets used and thrown around a lot. People want to believe that they're entrepreneurs because we have this weird societal obsession with it in America because we live in a capitalist society. <laughs> right. I don't know, but there's only a certain group of those who believe that they are that actually are. And I would love to dig into what what makes like what is the makeup of a, an entrepreneur. And the first question that that uh, that came to me was, I remember, um, I remember working. This is a past past uh, job, and I remember thinking, uh, man, that CEO just has he he's, he has a big ego, and um, I don't really know if I if I want to work for him, right? But he was very successful, and and a great guy. And I remember talking to a coworker about this and he said, well, Sid, he has to have a big ego. You have to have a big ego as an entrepreneur because you have to have tough skin because you take so, you are the face of the successes and the failures and you have to be able to weather that and be that, right. you know, the, the rock for the team. And to do that, you have to have an ego. Mm. So I guess my first question is, is that true? Do you do you believe that the makeup of an entrepreneur requires an ego? You know, what a great question. And I, I think to a certain degree, it, you call it ego or just call it being different. I think mm -hmm. you have to have something inside of you that, that drives you. Uh, and you can't, and that doesn't change your your core. Now, I, I go back to this and, you know, I, I said the first five years, I took seven days off. Did I have some bad days? 100%. Did I work when I was sick? 100%. Did I want, really want to go to that birthday Friday night with all my family? I absolutely did. But as a leader mm -hmm. and as, and, and I truly do believe a lot of people think a leader is somebody who, who owns a business or, you know, I tell everybody, everybody is a leader because you know why you go home, you lead your family, you lead your spouse, you lead your kids, you lead your church members, you lead your friends. Everybody is a leader because you influence somebody in your life. That's at every single point. So I really do think, um, you have to have a level of, um, you know, kind of lack of a better term. I'm the shizzy, right? Like, you know, I'm it. And, mm -hmm. and, this ship is going to sink or it's going to sail on my shoulders. And because there are so many people counting on you, right? Mm -hmm. And I always have to think about the, the, the future of a team. And Sid, going back is, you know, there's been a lot of movement in our industry the last couple of years, right? And a lot of our friends who sold who I thought would never sell. Mm -hmm. And you know, at a certain point, I say, you know what, if I don't do, if I don't at least take a look at it, I'm going to, I'm doing my family injustice and also my team. So I took a meeting and for a week, I spent the money. I spent, I was, I was dreaming about all the things. I never had that amount of money in my life in my bank account, but I started spending, I, I dreamt about all the things I could do for my parents, you know, my, my, my in-laws. And then I took another week and I thought, you know what? Julius just got married. Ilker just bought a house. This person just got divorced. This person just had a baby. I started thinking about all my teammates. And I know nothing's gonna change when you when you you know 
merge with another company, so they say, but I just couldn't do it. So I don't know if you call that leadership or intuition, but um, you know, I just I started thinking about the team. But going back to your question, does a leader have to have a level of ego? Uh, I I really do. I really do uh, think that you know you have to uh, think enough of yourself that people will follow you. Mm. Mm. That's a good. That's a good answer. I guess the difference is you are self aware of your ego. Right? I mean, like you're able to talk about it right now, right? You you, you know you have it, and you know it's capabilities in both directions and so the ability the uh capability of having that awareness but then also controlling it disciplining it you know not to to your point like hey uh maybe i won't buy bmw fives for everybody in the family which i mean honestly that's a really nice thing to do um but you know it's, it's sort of like okay I'm, a, I'm aware of my my desire to do that and my ability to do that but should i do that right, right? and so that's it's an it's an interesting interesting thing okay so second question is around this idea of you said you know entrepreneurs really need to be able to take risk and i would agree with that my dad owns an agency you know i saw him take risk although he would always call it calculated risk where he was weighing pros and cons the man weighed pros and cons for my sleepovers it became a bit of an obsession <laughs> for him but I think did his business, you know, well. I think sometimes you can't really necessarily weigh those pros and cons. You just have to trust your gut, as you said. Yeah. The question is how, you know, I, I do recognize this. Um, there's sort of this, well, if I believe it, I can will it into existence. Uh, this recognition of, you know, human power right? The power that I have to lead, to create, to, you know, uh, to, 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 to do all these amazing things. But how, what, what is the balance between, you know, that and, you know, this idea historically of fate or, you know, uh, uh, God, right? This, hey, things are sort of out of your hands to a certain extent. And there's a, there is a purpose that's bigger than you that you may not fully understand. Yeah. So there's this sort of balance between these two ideas of, well, I, I have power as a human and I have the ability to create, but then I also am maybe limited in that, or maybe there's ran a randomness to it because of, you know, the Greek mythology was all about fate, yeah. um, which is a little more random than I think Christianity is more purpose-driven what 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 do you think I mean as far as that balance goes yeah you know I I truly do believe success doesn't discriminate mm. and, I, and I and I think that's my why my dad you know took brought his kids here to the stage because there's you know I, I know it's a cliche but it's equal opportunity and Sid like like you're you know you're you're kind of like a chameleon where I feel when you come in the agent circle with us, you know how to talk to us. You know how to interact. You know the questions to ask. You, you know how to engage. But I mean, vert, working at Vertifor, sometimes you have to wear a different suit, mm -hmm. right? But also with C-level executive, I truly do believe, obviously, that you know how to engage. You you know the talking points. You know how to you know how to just be comfortable in that scenario. And you know, for me. I knew right away from a very early stage that I was never a corporate guy. Um, but I really did believe in myself because I knew that I would kill myself to win. And for for a long time, yeah, I felt like I was the best football player. Like I had the helmet, the cleats, right? But I was always playing on a basketball court where no matter how fast I try to run with cleats on that hard floor, you're not going to get any traction. So the entrepreneurial world was my football field. Mm. So once I landed there, you know, because why it's up to me. And, you know, I dropped. So I went to, I got into USC. I dropped out. You know, I started making all this money and I said, OK, I'm going to go this direction. So I never finished school. But boy, I got I got to tell you, I have an MBA in on the streets. 
you know, of just figuring it out. Could you imagine having five kids and 200 bucks to your name? I mean, talk about feeling like you're getting choked, mm -hmm. right? About not knowing where the next meal is going to come and how you're going to feed your kids when some of your kids are still on formula. Yeah. So I had this, you have to figure it out. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I always knew that I was super disciplined and I put so much value on the daily disciplines because that's truly what I feel as if it separates what I call the pretty people. You know, on the pretty people with all the fancy degrees and this and that, and you know, where sometimes they want they don't want to roll up their sleeves, right? Mm -hmm. But if you put a guy in there like me, you know, I'm all about getting dirty, and I don't mind getting dirty um, because I again I do know that this isn't going to be forever. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one thing that I've always believed in is you know, sex doesn't discriminate, and as long as you show up every single that fifty percent of winning is simply showing up. We're hiring another salesperson here. I have 10 interviews scheduled. Three people actually show up when everybody confirmed yesterday for today. Three people show up. So just by showing up, you beat 70% of your competition just by showing up. Is that crazy? That's crazy yeah. to me. I think the most, the most impactful thing you just said is I was willing to, I believed in myself and I knew that I was willing to kill myself to get to that goal or vision or whatever it was. And I, you know, I mean, obviously we don't take that literally. I think what you're saying is I'm willing to undergo this incredible amount of pain and hardship and struggle. And that's not going to dissuade me from getting to my goal. And I, I'll, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I didn't really learn discipline per se until I started doing Ironman. And what forced me to- That's a to, whole new level of discipline, right? That's incredible. It's well, and I would compare it to running a business, right? I mean, it, it's you have to show up every day. And if you don't, if you miss a workout, if you don't, if you're not intentional about a workout, if, uh, you know, whatever, if you're not doing it and doing it at your best that day, mm. you're going to see it on race day. And I couldn't, I couldn't cope with the idea of not showing up on race day. And that's what kept me motivated. And as you start to just show up every day, you just learn that discipline. And now I wouldn't, and it becomes a habit. And now right. I wouldn't, you know, wouldn't not have it in my life. But I, I didn't learn that until I was in my early, you know, I mean, I'm still in my early thirties, but until I was 30 when I started this yeah. whole thing. Um, so it's really amazing that you had that and knew you had that so early on in your, well, in your career. And, and also, you know, one of the, cause you know, this is how psycho I am. And now running an organization, right? You're all about motivating the team and getting them influence. I truly do believe is getting somebody to do something that they wouldn't do if you weren't in their life. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we always hear in any business and in sales is in around December is, well, it's, it's the holidays. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, you know, they're, they want me to call them after the holidays or the sales numbers are low because of the holidays. Well, I mean, I always believed, I, I always said Christmas is one day. What are you going to do the other 30 days? You know, if your bills don't go on vacation, you don't go on vacation, right? So mm -hmm. it's that attitude. But this is how psycho I was. I mean, I, I, I would set a goal for myself, a production goal for that month or that year. And if I wasn't close or if I, if I was slacking off, I literally would tell, I, I would imagine a person holding a gun to my kid's head. I, I know it's, it's crazy. Mm holding a gun to my kid's head. And if I didn't hit my numbers, right? Mm -hmm. So I was that focused. Mm -hmm. Now I, I'm using a ring light here and the ring light is great because it, it spreads the light. Some people are, they call that focus where they kind of spread their focus around. Mm -hmm. I was laser focused. Mm -hmm. I was dialed in on exactly where I wanted to go, what my goal was, what I had to do to get that and achieve that goal. I was laser focused and there's a difference. And once people figure that out, their life will change. Mm. Mm. Okay, Daniel, I could talk to you for the next four hours on this topic, but I do want to, because I promised the listeners that we would talk about technology. That's I right, do I'm wanna, excited about that. Yes, I do wanna talk a little bit about your, your tech journey specifically. Mm -hmm. So maybe just starting with 
where where was your starting point for tech and then where was your your goal your finish line and have you reached it today do you still see you know you, you know do you still see that a, a long pathway ahead are you comfortable with where you at with where you're at Gosh, what does that no, look yeah, like that's a, that's a great question because i don't i don't even know what the finish line to a tech stack would even look like, right? Because mm -hmm. things are changing almost on a daily basis, which is great for the industry. I mean, I'm, I'm on, I sit on some boards and it's in some accelerated programs and I work with insure tech companies all the time. And I just love talking to founders because they're trying to make our industry better. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I mean, specifically to our tech stack, you know, and first I wanna say, you know, it's, um, there's a lot of options out there. and. You know, especially for the young agents out there, you know, you go to a convention, you go to a seminar and your head is just swiveling so much because mm -hmm. there's so much to learn and so much to do. My best advice is some, to somebody is just because it works for me doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for you. Mm -hmm. So be very cautious in your tech stack and what you bring on and increasing expenses. I am very slow to change my tech stack. I haven't brought on a new piece of technology in three years, um, just up until about two months ago. Now we're fully automated and, you know, I'm proud to say, and this is a coincidence here, but I, we great park insurance is all things vertical. So we're AMS 360 agency zoom and PL Raider. So what happens is when, so, and before um, agency Zoom, we were on another CRM for a very long time. And we can spend, again, you're right. We can spend hours on going through our process and our system because the automation has, once I brought on automation, it has more than increased our revenue by 50%. And I see it, it there was a, there was a, just a projection. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, we're, we're all things, we're all things vertical. So when a new prospect calls in, we put them into our uh, agency zoom, which now integrates with PL Raider. So we're not doing triple double entries. Um, and then now, you know, everything connects from agency zoom to AMS 360. So that piece alone has really helped my staff save hours and hours in a month and days in a year. Um, but, you know, we are very intentional with our tech stack, even down to the subject line of an email. Uh, you know, I, I calculated with my developer uh, in one month, we send out 13 months of communication. Wow. So in one month, we're able to do that where it would have taken us 13 months without the wow. automation. So if there is an agency out there that's considering any form of automation and you're, you're not on it now, mm. I don't, it might not make a big deal now, but in the next three to five years, you're going to be behind the eight ball. And other agencies are going to surpass you uh, by miles because you're just not competitive enough. So what would you say to the agencies that hear fully automated and think, whoa, 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 you are killing the relationship side of the business. Yeah. You, you, yeah. Can't, you can't automate these things. This is what our bread and butter is. This is what makes us independent insurance advisors is being able to have that personalized communication the you know being able to uh you know be really intentional with what emails text messages you know whatever we send out phone calls zooms now you're saying you're eliminating that and you're automating how how do you do you, do you believe that have you found a balance well, you know, I, I really do believe that we have a nice balance and I don't think automation has been created to replace the personal touch. Mm -hmm. It's there to enhance and put it on super, super boost. Um, for, for example, uh, you know, what we do is our agency is a little different where somebody calls us off the street. You know, we'll spend about five minutes with them on the phone. And a lot of times, you know, they come off of Yelp mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm, I'm going to brag a little bit here about my team is, uh, you know, we are the highest rated insurance agency on Yelp in the country. What? And so people, so, so yeah, so people call us and, you know, and they're already sold before they call us. I mean, they see 700 plus reviews on Yelp when the next agency has maybe 15. They're like, okay, there's something about this agency that I need to work with them. And if I don't work with them, I'm probably missing out on something. Yeah. So they call it. We spend five minutes with them on the phone and we tell them, hey, look, we're going to email you. Um, 
click on our simple form link. When you click on that, pick auto home discount and it's gonna guide you through the questions that we need. Now, what did I do just by doing that? My risk managers are not on the phone spending 45 minutes with them getting their driver's license. Does your pool mm. have a diving board? What, I, I save them 45 minutes. Um, but also when they go through that application, it's a whole application, Sid. The only thing we're missing is payment information. I mean, it asks them their employment information. It asks them everything. But at the very end, before they can hit submit, they have to attach a current copy of their declaration pages for all of their policies. Mm. Why do we do that? Number one, uh, if you if you have current coverage, data shows that you have loss, lower loss ratios. You're more responsible if you have current coverage. Number two, we want accurate information. We don't want to compare apples to oranges. We want to know exactly what you have because that's, we're professionals. We can make recommendations off of what we see. And third, the reason why we do that is because if they just spent 30 minutes filling out that application, do you really think they're going to call the next agency down the street to do that process all over again? Mm -hmm. We take them off the street. So, mm -hmm. so we have accurate data and we take them off the street from shopping around. Um, and then what we do is we we create a video quote. We we put up their we pull up their current deck pages. We pull up our, our recommendations and we go line by line and give them scenarios of hey, if you have a claim, that's where this coverage comes into play. So we send that to them. So let's say we send that video around 11 a.m. in the morning. The minute they click on it, we get a notification that they clicked on it. That's that's how right automation and technology is working for us. They, we get a notification, we call them 15, 20 minutes later to go over that because it's fresh on their mind. Now, let's say they don't click on it. Our automation at 7.45 p.m. that night will text them and say, the automation will say, hi, Mike, just want to touch base with you. want to make sure that you received our email during the day. If you did it, here's the video link. It's so interesting around eight o'clock, 8.15, we get a oh, notification yeah. that they saw the video. Yeah. But also benefit to the video quoting is that we usually talk to one spouse mm -hmm. and it's difficult for that one spouse to to regurgitate what they heard from the insurance agent to their other spouse. But what we notice is they just forward the video mm -hmm. and now they're getting the same message. Mm -hmm. um, but mm -hmm. if and then there's a whole automation, a 45 day follow up automation with RVMs, text messages, emails. Um, but I don't think I don't think video or I don't think technology is there to replace the human touch. It's there to enhance it. And I mean, just imagine it makes us look a lot more professional and bigger than we are. But also our, our birthday messages, emails and text messages are automated. But but do you really think that person is going to care that you didn't manually text them a happy birthday? Mm -hmm. They don't know the difference. So little things like that, that you can you can figure out what works and what doesn't, what should be automated and what should not. Interesting. Interesting. That was a that was an amazing breakdown because you did mention the stat before, right? You drove X amount more revenue. And I think what sometimes people have a hard time with is, well, what, what's that calculation, right? Do I just turn it on and then, oh, now I'm making more money? No, it's it's really about how you implement it and where you're saving time with the duplicate right. entry, the notification thing's brilliant, right? Because I might see a, an email come through and then say to myself, oh, okay, I'm gonna check that later. But if the notification pops up while I'm sitting on the couch, that's right. more than likely I'll, oh yeah, that's right, click on that real quick. And then, yeah. you know, someone's sitting next to me, boom, here's, here's what's going on. I mean, that makes complete sense. And that's an improved customer experience. You're kind of optimizing for the opportunity Right. Uh, and so those and, are the ways that you drive that that revenue. And we picked 745 p.m. because usually people are, are home after work. Mm -hmm. They're done with dinner and they're sitting on, like exactly what you just said. They're sitting on the couch watching TV and their spouse is right next to them. Mm -hmm. um, so so that, that's exactly right. Mm, interesting. Interesting. OK, so one last question for you. I have to ask just because TikTok. Um, you're you have an insane following on TikTok. And I know your your presence is is really you're focused on creating content that I mean honestly I've watched some of it. The relationship advice on there is amazing. If anyone has not seen Daniel's uh, TikTok, go follow it. If you're in a relationship or if you're not in a relationship and you're trying to get into a relationship, <laughs> um, you know it's really family oriented. And uh, you know you talk about 
all the food that you guys are eating. Um, there's some really funny episodes or, you know, shorts with uh, <laughs> like uh, burgers or, you know, you always have the rice that's coming out, yeah. Yeah. Um, how you make different food. And then, uh, you know, your family in general, like the activities that you guys do together. How, how did this thing start? I'm just curious. What did you guys just say one day, let's put something on TikTok and then it took off or what happened? <laughs> Basically, I mean, it was a couple of years ago, maybe two years ago or so. It was right around Christmas and I'm kind of the silly dad with my kids. So my, my daughter got me a, a daddy joke book, 365 jokes. So one joke a day. And I thought, you know what? Perfect. I'm going to read a joke and just laugh and I'll put that on TikTok. And the kids were laughing at me because they said, well, who's going to follow you? I mean, <laughs> how boring can you write? I mean, who's going to follow you? Surprisingly awesome. enough, you know, in the first week, we got 10,000 followers. Uh, in the next week, we got 50,000 and in six months, we got a million. And I remember there was a, a week or two stretch where we would get 100,000 every single day. Our biggest day was 50,000 followers. And now we're about 1.4. Um, but, you know, it's wow. it just it's another way. The second half of my insurance career, I really do want to give back to the industry. But this is a more worldly way to reach a bigger audience. And, you know, we, we, we talk about our struggles and it's incredible how people relate and how people relate to struggles more than success because everybody struggles and the people who kind of stick it out and stay committed through the struggles, see the success. But a lot of people quit within their struggles right before they're going to turn that corner, right? Right before they're going to turn that corner to success, they quit. So everybody could uh, uh, relate to struggles. So marriage advice uh, or child raising advice uh, but you know it's Sid the most impactful thing is I have had people reach out to me and say Daniel my dad was abusive when I was growing up mm -hmm. he drank he smoked he beat us because of him I never wanted to get married never wanted to have kids mm -hmm. but but watching you and your family you guys look like you're having so much fun I can see the love I can feel the love you make me want to be a really good dad. I had this one gal reach out to me and she was in Las Vegas, 18 years old. She was sitting in her car in her parking lot with her belly out to here because she was pregnant. She messaged me through IG and she says, Daniel, I'm just having a really hard time. This is my situation. I moved out here with my boyfriend. Now he's leaving me. I'm pregnant. I don't know what to do. I messaged her right away. I said, what's your cell number? What's your cell phone number? She um, sent me her cell phone number. I called her right away. And she was she, number one. She was shocked. Um, but I, I just I was I was just a shoulder for her to lean on. And I, and I told her, don't quit. You know, I said, screw your boyfriend. If he left you, screw him. But you have, it's your baby who you're living for now. Mm. Mm. A couple months later after and that took me five minutes. A couple months later, she had the baby. She got a job and she messaged me again. She said, Daniel, that one conversation changed my life. So I always tell people and I truly do believe this and it happened for me. Mm. Mm -hmm never give up and never quit because there is going to be that one person that says that one thing at that one moment in your life that's going to change it forever and even though you've heard it before mm -hmm. right you can go to the seminar you can we all hear the same things but for whatever reason you're at a different point in your life right now where it's going to hit different mm -hmm. it's going to feel different and that could be that one thing and there's been numerous times for me where that happened. And I just get chills even talking about it now because my life is different. I mean, I, I am not a wealthy man, Sid, but, you know, I'm a pretty wealthy man. I have a loving family, a loving wife. I mean, our relationship, that's the best thing that came out of our struggles is my wife and I, are, we never thought about money. She never made me feel bad about not being able to pay the bills. You know, we would cry together, pray together. And our marriage got stronger. 70% divorce rate out here in Orange County, believe it or not, 70%. And it's about money all the time. Mm -hmm. But we never thought about money. And she was my biggest cheerleader. One time she comes home and she says, I don't see her wedding ring anymore. She sold it. Oh in our God. deepest struggle, she, she sold her ring. Didn't even talk oh. to me about it. Because you know what? That bought us two months of groceries. And that got, and she believed in me that we, we would get out of it. It bought us two months of groceries and we got out of it. And I bought her a bigger ring later. Yeah, so I was able to do that, you know, for her. Yeah, man. Wow. I. Uh, uh, I almost I'm almost going to start crying. That is amazing. And I. Uh, 
I just want to say thank you for for being such an amazing human. Um, I think that, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who don't turn the corner. There's fewer people who turn the corner and don't share and lift others up. And then there's even fewer people who turn the corner uh, and, and use their time to share and lift others up and make that five minute phone call. And I just, from one person to another person on this crazy rock we call earth, thank you for being you and sharing your story. And, um, you know, for those of you listening, if you have the opportunity, you know, I know in conferences are getting kickstarted here uh, over the next few months, a lot will happen towards the end of the year in August, September, if you have the chance. I know Daniel's at a lot of conferences. If you do run into him, uh, you know, take a moment, say, hey, he's an amazing guy. Um, he also has a podcast that he puts on. And do you want to give maybe a little intro on that podcast real quick? What you guys talk about, how when it comes out, how, how people can sign up? Yeah, it's uh, Ryan and I, Ryan Reynolds and I. It's uh, every Thursday, 6 a.m. in the morning, and it's the Insurance Leaders Podcast. And again, just another way for us to give back to the industry, talking, interviewing a lot of great leaders, a lot of people who have done some amazing things. Um, and, and, and honestly, we could have anybody on the podcast because we do believe that everybody is a leader. Mm. Mm. With that, uh, thank you again. I appreciate you. And I look forward to everything that you're going to continue doing in the industry. Um, guys, if you haven't hit the subscribe button on this podcast yet, go to YouTube, hit subscribe on Channel Orange. All of these episodes are filmed so you can watch them. You can see our facial expressions. You can see me almost start crying if you want to. Uh, we also stream on every podcast platform. So Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast platform is, you can subscribe with that. I look forward to seeing you guys on another episode of the Vertifor Insurance Podcast. And Daniel, thank you again. Thanks, Sid. Love you. If you haven't yet been to Austin, Texas between May 7th to the 10th, consider this your official invitation. Accelerate is the largest gathering of Vertifor users from around the country. And no matter if you're looking to be challenged by hearing the stories of successful owners who did things a bit differently, see cutting edge solutions thanks to the implosion of the InsurTech ecosystem, or learn how you can maximize your current Vertifor tech stack. Accelerate has it all. So go to accelerate.netview.org, put it in your phone, put it in your computer, wherever you are, accelerate.netview.org, grab your ticket and join us in the live music capital.